The Rod and Staff podcast comes out of the host's passion for Christ and his church. It exists to encourage a deeper engagement with issues that pertain to doctrine and life. Check us out at rodandstaff.org. Welcome to the Rod and Staff podcast. I am your host, Roger, along here with my co-host, Jason. And we once again have the honor of having a special guest with us, Dr. Matt Silverman, to continue our conversation that uh, we began last time on vaccines. If you haven't listened to that episode, I really encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. There was a lot of great content that we covered in in just 30 minutes um, that could be really helpful. Um, especially as we continue the conversation, I think it'd be good to go back and listen to that. So I encourage you to do that. As we start our uh, episode, uh, we'd like to uh, start with a question and I'm going to ask both you, Jason and, and Matt, this question. It's actually a two-part question. So the, You only get one part, Roger, <clears throat> sorry. Well, you can answer the first part. He can, he, Matt can answer the second. So he, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> here's the two-part question uh, is, what is your favorite word and what is your least favorite word? Whoa. <laughs> and it can't be a phrase from this last year, any of the COVID phrases or new words that we've come up with this year. <laughs> All right, Matt, you want to go first or do you want me to go first? All right, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in here. My, my, my favorite word um, is grace. That, that's uh, probably my favorite word uh, because it's what I need so desperately every moment of every day uh, from the Lord. Um, least favorite word, that, that's a little harder. Uh, but since I'm, let me, let me stay on the 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 theological track here grace is uh, being my, my favorite word then um, uh, maybe something like rebellion uh, is my my least favorite uh, at least what in terms of what it means my, my least favorite concept I know that's not actually answering your question Roger but uh, but it's because of my rebellion that I need grace so there you have it did I give you enough time Matt, to think yeah I, I'm thinking back to conversations I've had and like what's a, what's the most common thing? I think if I were to analyze all of my discussions and conversations with people, I think my favorite word would be wisdom. Mm. I think I think wisdom okay. would be the favorite. In terms of my least favorite or least liked word, um, uh, maybe it might be uh, certain, certain, mm. because there's there's so little certain, and so many people use it with such confidence of mm. we are certain. And it, there's just so little in life that we truly are certain of. Are you certain about that? That that's your I, least favorite word? I'm not. I'm not 100 <laughs> certain. I am not. But it, it's a guess. That's it wisdom. A, <laughs> to, to be able to say you're not certain. There's a lot of wisdom there, man. That's good. Very good. Uh, How about you, I, uh, Roger? Yeah. Let's see. My favorite word right now probably changes often, but my favorite word right now is hope. Uh, just thinking uh, through scriptures and how much hope we have uh, because of Christ um, and that we can always have hope no matter what's going on. It's heightened, especially during these uncertain times. Uh, my least favorite word is can't. Whenever I hear my kids say it, I can't. I don't like that word. I say, I don't, I don't think that, I don't know what that word means. So sorry, you got to use another word. 
<laughs> oh, but, cannot then. Yeah. Cannot. Cannot. Yeah. yeah. That's Don't a different word. Yeah. <laughs> no. Okay. No, it doesn't work, but. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but great, as we even think about wisdom, uh, we brought a, a guest to help give us wisdom and talk through uh, just issues with the vaccine as we interact with one another, as we hear things in the media, uh, concerns and myths. We want to go over that and just talk through some of these uh, issues that people are bringing up. I think it's important as believers to think through these as carefully as we can. Uh, as I was even thinking about it, uh, a couple of scriptures that come to mind from the Proverbs, from one of the books of wisdom in the scripture, uh, I think of Proverbs 18, and I think of just a couple of verses in there. I'll read it uh, as we start our conversation, but Proverbs 18, 2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. And then later on in the Proverbs uh, 18.13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. And then if we want another one, just in, in speaking just earlier in Proverbs 18, verse 7, a fool's uh, mouth is his ruin and his lips are a snare to his soul. Scripture talks a lot about what we say and the words that we use and how quickly we use them. Um, and so, especially in this conversation that is very controversial and brings up heated uh, debates and, and thoughts that we have or beliefs that we have, important to remember how scripture uh, slows us down to listen, to think about it and to interact with one another uh, with wisdom. So as we start uh, this this episode, this conversation, uh, we've had a lot of uh, thoughts around the concerns and myths that people are having with the vaccine. So last time we talked a lot about the science of the vaccine, but now we want to talk more on the practical level. Like how should we as believers be uh, interacting with this greater conversation that's going on in our world um, with the concerns that people have. So let's start with uh, one that's popular of, uh, we haven't had enough time uh, to really test these at vaccines. They come so quickly. Uh, how do you respond to that, Matt, when you, when you hear that being said? Yeah, um, not enough time. Well, you know, it's, it's tricky because then you want, you want to establish what would you consider enough time. Hmm. Um, and that's, that's always a problem with every single medication, right? You, if you want to test a lifetime risk of something, right? That means it takes you about 90 years to fully test something. Hmm. Um, and in terms of bringing in a new treatment or bringing in a new something to be used in a population, yeah, you can wait 90 years to, to, do, to, to approve something, uh, but uh, if on those 90 years, it turns out there, was no, there were no significant things that popped up after the first six months, then you kind of wasted you know, 89 years and six mm -hmm. months waiting for the, so in all medical research, it's always a balance. And we have to, for every single, for every single treatment, for every, every single vaccine, every single new procedure, there's always a balance of, based on what we know of the biology, how mm. soon would we expect to see some type of complication arise? Mm. And based on that, we say, all right, let's wait that long. And then maybe a little bit longer just in case, because there's, there's tons of stuff about our bodies we don't know. 
you know, they, you know there's a ton of mechanisms we don't fully understand. Um, so, uh, you know, in terms of the vast, vast majority of vaccines, if, a pro if there is a problem with them, it arises within about two months. Um, and then within about two months, you know if there's any serious complications. Um, in terms of long, t uh, you know, in terms of long-term uh, complications of this, um, the problem with thinking that there's going to be a long-term complication of something like, say, an RNA vaccine is RNA just doesn't last in your body very long. Like your cells are constantly producing more RNA. Like your body has DNA. Each of your cells has DNA. That DNA produces RNA. That RNA either produces some type of function or produces some protein in response. And most RNA in our cells only lasts a couple hours at most a day. And then it just kind of degrades. And then if your body wants more RNA, it's just got to make more out of the DNA. Because this is just a short burst of RNA, it's going to be gone in, in a day. Uh, so, the, so if there's going to be a long-term complication, it's not going to be from the RNA. It's going to be from your immune system response. Um, and if you're concerned with a long-term uh, uh, complication from the immune system response, the virus produces more, you know, long-term complications than, you know, the, than any vaccine does. Um, so that, that's your, your challenge, right? If you're worried about long-term complications, then you're more worried about a virus because a virus is just capable of doing more damage to the body during an active infection. Um, beyond, beyond that, um, this isn't, you know, this isn't the first time we've used an RNA, if we're talking specifically about the RNA treatments, it's not the first time we've used RNA treatments in humans before. Like this was back in the 90s when we were first doing this. So if we were going to see long-term complications from something like that, mm -hmm. you know, we've, we've got, we've got the, de the decades of, you know, history behind it to say, we haven't seen anything up to this point that can be directly connected to the vaccines. Um, so why you know are we going to expect something different considering it's a this a sa the same mechanism the same concept um it's just you know realistically you don't you know it's uh, like saying you don't do the same experiment over and over again expecting to get different results <laughs> so you know if we if we've already done it once and we haven't you know seen it this far now of course we haven't done this before on tens of millions of people or hundreds of millions of people so if there's a a one in ten million complication or a one in a hundred million complication we're going to identify those now for the first time. Right. Um, as far as we know from the science of how this works, there's nothing we're anticipating. The only the only concern that we were anticipating for this in the beginning is a problem that's arisen in the past for other coronavirus vaccines, and that's an antibody aggravated uh, uh, overreaction, where basically the specific antibodies your body makes in response to the vaccine actually make the infection worse, not better. Um, because of the way that antibodies and viral particles can, can clump together. Um, so we were looking for that specifically for this and it hasn't popped up and it would have popped up by now since the vaccinated people have clearly been exposed to the disease and now are not demonstrating that phenomenon. So the one health concern that we were specifically looking for here didn't pop up of the vaccines that we've tested so far. So Matt, with, with multiple vaccines uh, that we take? I mean, some of us take the flu vaccine every year, for instance. Um, is there ever concern of the interaction between the different vaccines inoculations that we're getting 
Is there anything like that that we should be concerned with? No, there, there do exist drug-drug interactions. And those are specific, like you don't want to drink alcohol while taking certain medications. And that's, right. and that's specifically because uh, drug molecules are transported in your body through proteins. And drugs can displace each other uh, from those proteins and make themselves more active. So basically, if you double up on the drugs, rather than getting equal effects of both, both of them are amplified because less of them are bound to protein and more of them are free in your blood to produce the effect. And that's actually one of the topics I cover in my pharmacokinetics lectures of, you know, dealing with these drug, drug complex drug, drug interactions. That doesn't exist for vaccines because your, your body creates an immune system response to anything foreign that it sees. So your body, your immune system is specifically designed to every new disease that, that it comes around. It creates a unique response to that thing. We call that adaptive immunity and it creates a memory of that. So now anytime in the future, it sees that disease, it's going to pop up again. Um, and there's actually, there's actually a bonus for having a bunch of different diseases is because your immune system response is fairly specific, but it's not 100% specific, which means if you have a similar virus later down the line, the, the original classic example was cowpox and smallpox, that once you had cowpox, you were now immune to smallpox because the viruses were similar enough. Um, and that's true of a lot of different viruses, that they're similar enough that once you've had one or once you've had the vaccine for one, it gives you a little bonus immunity to nice. similar viruses. We think that might be one of the reasons why a lot of SARS-CoV-2 cases don't actually have serious problems, serious complications. We have detected uh, evidence of specific cellular uh, T-cell immunity towards SARS that targets SARS-CoV-2 in patients that had never been exposed to it. Hmm. So we think that either one of the common cold coronaviruses or somewhere there's some other coronavirus that was circulating in the human population that gave enough bonus immunity to some people that that might explain why some of them uh, don't have any major complications because the immune system already had enough you know, bonus immunity from something else that it, that it helped. So, so it's almost like someone really brilliant designed our bodies it, it is an amazing design. Like it, it, the, the way the immune system works, like if you really under, we, we still don't fully understand it, but what we do understand just boggles the mind. Wow. If it, you know, when people make the, the statement that this vaccine has been developed so quickly, so, you know, we should be scared of it. Is it a partially accurate statement in, in one sense it, it was approved very quickly, but, but you have said that this type of technology has been studied since the 90s. So, so in a sense, it's new, but it's not new. Is that? Is that yeah, I mean, this is the first FDA approved RNA vaccine in a person. Uh, but I mean, it's not the first, you know, RNA vaccine that's been tested in people. Um, and since the mechanism's the same, you can kind of combine all of the other, you know, Moderna had nine other RNA vaccines in the works before COVID came along. Uh, and this, so this, was, this is actually the 10th vaccine that they've developed using the, the RNA technology. Um, so it's, it's not new in, in that sense. It's not new in the, in the concept of use. I mean, I was doing RNA transformations in my PhD or in my, uh, my first year of my PhD back at UCLA. And that was uh, how, 2006, something like that. So, you know, the, the, this is not brand new stuff that we're doing. It's the, the first that a specific RNA uh, vaccine has been FDA approved, but it's not the first time that we've tried uh, this type of stuff out in humans. 
Um, and again, you kind of you, you go back to whenever you're thinking about long term complications, you always want to think about, well, what's the mechanism? Like, what is it actually going to do to your body mm -hmm. long term? Um, and when it comes to creating an immune system response, there's just not a lot of long term damage you can do to a body that the immune system by stimulating the immune system that the disease itself wouldn't have also done. Right. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, that any disease is going to put you at a higher risk for long term complications than a vaccine for a disease just by just by the nature of how viruses work versus how vaccines work. Um, so it, it, that, that's really helpful to uh, to think about. I mean, the answer is the question of, uh, of the safety of it, of how safe it is, because that's one of the concerns. I think some of the other things that we, we've heard are, are, are thoughts that people have of, of something being sinister done with vaccines, um, you know, of what, what's in the, what's in the content of it, you know, from a, from a Christian perspective, we, you know, uh, are there aborted embryos or stem cells used in them? You know, what is in it, in a simplified way, what does it contain? Are there, are there any concerns you have from a Christian point of view mm. or worldview on, on these vaccines that are coming out right now? Sure. Well, so for these vaccines specifically, um, it's hard to imagine anything sinister because they, these are the simplest, simplest vaccines that we've ever created because it's really just an RNA strand encapsulated with uh, encapsulated in a lipid nanoparticle that's uh, it's made out of the same essentially the same lipid bilayer layer that your cells are made out of. So it's you know just a phospholipid bilayer, you know, which I maybe people remember from their high school bio biology days of what a cell membrane. No, no, we <laughs> don't, Matt. Sorry. <laughs> you can think of it like a soap, basically like a soap bubble, right? Your your the cells in your body are are composed of a a, a lipid layer that prevents stuff from just going in and out of your cells freely. Um, and the outside, uh, the outside edges of the membrane are like, are hydrophilic. They, they have a, they interact with water well. And the inside is like oil, it's hydrophobic, which prevents water and stuff like that passing freely through. Um, and just in the same way, like you've got two bubbles and you put them together and the bubbles kind of merge. That's basically the concept of these lipid nanoparticles. Um, or, or maybe another way to think of it, you know how uh, you, you go into your doctor and you measure like HDL cholesterol or LDL mm -hmm. cholesterol, those are lipid particles that, you know, okay. so it's the, you know, and, and they travel throughout your body delivering triglycerides to your cells. Mm. Essentially the, the same type of concept that these travel throughout, basically travel, it's direct, injected directly into your muscle cells and it's taken up into the muscle cells and then the RNA is in there. You don't need anything else to produce these vaccines. There's no, you don't need other virus, other vaccines because they're either a dead virus or something. They, you have to grow them in a cell culture or something like that. Mm -hmm. RNA vaccines, you don't. Um, so that's, uh, that's, that's one of the reasons why we're able to safety test these things so much faster because there are additional safety concerns you have whenever you grow anything in a cell culture. Because you're like, oh, what if that cell culture was infected with another virus? We have to make sure those cells were healthy. What if there was something in that cell culture we didn't know about? This production process for an RNA vaccine is much more streamlined. Um, the drawback is these vaccines are less stable, so they have to be kept at colder temperatures. Mm. Uh, I think the Moderna is minus 20 and the Pfizer is uh, minus 20 Celsius and the Pfizer is minus uh, 70 Celsius. 
Um, so that's compared to the Oxford. I mean, those are actually pretty standard temperatures for a lot of the labs that I work with. Like any lab that I worked at, you've got a minus 20 freezer, you've got a minus 80 freezer. Maybe it's not, you know, what you're, you're used to for a lot of the hospitals, but most of the labs that I've worked in have had at least a couple minus 20 freezers and at least one minus 80 uh, freezer. So they're not, it's not unheard of to be working with stuff at these temperatures. Uh, but the Oxford Astra AstraZeneca vaccine doesn't need that. Um, and that's right now anticipated to be what's distributed throughout most of the world uh, because it's easier to transport. Um, it's the production capacity was already there for it. So it's probably able to be produced in larger amounts initially and it's easier to distribute. So I think most countries are focused on that. In the US, we seem to have focused much more on the Moderna and Pfizer uh, vaccines. So, so what about the uh, AstraZeneca one? Um, that is a more typical traditional vaccine, like you said. So people are always asking, they bring up the question of the aborted fetus or, or uh, the stem cells, I think is the way Roger described mm. it. What, what do you say to someone? Is there any connection there that there's something we need to be considered concerned with? You know, that's, that's a really good question. So I don't know specifically what cell culture there uh, vac their vaccine is grown in. Um, I know it's a vaccine that's, uh, it's a, a chimpanzee uh, adenovirus, but I, I don't know specifically what cell culture they're, cultures they're using. I'd have to see if it's in the literature somewhere. Um, there do exist uh, cell, cell cultures. Uh, so here's, we have uh, research groups in, in organizations that are specifically, uh, that are devoted specifically to collecting different types of cells and different types of tissue samples and cell cultures and stuff like that. And once they have them, and once you learn how to grow them, you can grow them indefinitely in a Petri dish. Hmm. So we have, you know, like uh, 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 tissue and culture, you know, organ companies that have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of different cell lines and different cell cultures growing. Um, and some of them are from fetal tissue. And you honestly, some of them, you honestly don't know. Was it a abortion or was it a miscarriage? Was it an elective abortion? Was it something where the, the, the baby had no chance of survival and the mom's life was in danger and there just really was no choice in the matter? Um, and it's tricky because then you get to the equ question of once those cells are obtained, is it immoral to use them? Mm. Because it's not like it's not like you have to kill a new baby every time to use more of these cells. They're growing now indefinitely in a petri dish, like they're genetically engineered so that they're immortalized and they never stop growing. Yeah. Um, you know, I was talking with a friend about this just the other day. Like it kind of it goes into the question of all right, the, the Nazis did medical research on their Jewish captives during the Holocaust. Mm. What do we do with that information? Like, is it immoral right. to not use immoral to use the knowledge that was gained? because of that. There's a ton of knowledge within the medical community that was gained through very immoral means. Um, and that is that is a difficult moral question. I And I can't, honestly, I can't say I've got an answer to that. Like it's- oh. It's funny, I, I was thinking of uh, Joseph in, in, in Genesis 50, you know, obviously Joseph was sent to Egypt uh, in a very immoral way. If you're looking at the human aspect of that, you know, his brothers sold him into slavery. They wanted to get rid of him. Um, and then, of course, the Lord had a different plan for him. It, it, it was the same steps. It, it was God intended to get him where he was. Should should the result have been, you know what? Let's just go back to the promised land and leave Egypt. We can't we can't be here with the or or you know what? We can't use any of the food that you saved during the famine, Joseph, because 
uh, it was by evil and sinful humans that we got here. I, I think the answer to that is, well, no, of course they could benefit from what God was doing through those who were evil. Um, that's not to defend, of course, any intentional taking of life in order to have those types of uh, uh, cell lines. But like you described, we, some of them, they were started that way, perhaps uh, tens of, you know, or like decades ago, right? Yeah, decades. Um, so it, it's it's tough to say. That's probably for a different episode. I don't want to uh, get into that too much, but. But yeah, I, think, uh, uh, I mean, most most vaccines, the production methods are published. So you can actually look up what were specific. What are the cell cultures that this particular virus virus was grown in? What was the the the, the process? So if you're really concerned with that for a particular vaccine or a particular product, you can look up that that information. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's if, if you're concerned about it, I would say take comfort in this. It's not like you have to kill a new baby every time you need to make more vaccine of something like even if it's mm. even if the vaccine is produced in a in a cell culture that was originally obtained from a, a, a baby that was killed unnecessarily. Like it's not like you're killing new babies every time to 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 get that. Um, it, but in the meantime, we, we've also got much better technology coming along the lines like we no longer really need embryonic stem cells for a lot of stuff because we have ways now of getting adult stem cells mm. uh, that can be taken without significantly hurting a person. So the, the collection methods for developing new you know, cell types are improving constantly. Um, and especially now with these RNA vaccines, it, it negates the need for cell cultures altogether, which is a, a pretty big step. Yeah, that's good. Um, thinking about um, why people hesitate to take vaccines. I, I, I know I read your, your blog post that you, you went through and I really liked uh, where, you, where you were ending that blog post on talking about people today being hesitant. I'm gonna you know, bring that up and, and, and have you just briefly talk about that uh, of today. Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of interesting challenges. There's a lot of reasons that I can understand why someone would be hesitant. And there's a lot of reasons that I think are, are a little unreasonable. Um, well, like reasonable reasons to be hesitant. This is a, uh, the pharmaceutical industry has become very wealthy, has become very influential, mm -hmm. and they do a lot of questionable stuff. Like, let's be honest, there, is, there's clear, there are clearly medications on the market and treatments on the market that I, that are put there because they have a because these pharmaceutical companies have financial ties to the government and they have the inside track. They can go to government agencies and say, uh, with a little extra money, we can expedite this and maybe we can overlook some of these concerns. Um, these are companies that are there to make a profit. Now, they might also be run by moral people that honestly want to do what's right. Um, but they can, it is entirely possible for a pharmaceutical company to be run by someone who's corrupt that's just looking for you know, short-term financial gain and they don't care if their treatment is particularly useful. Uh, they do have financial ties to doctors where mm -hmm. they advertise specifically to the doctors. They provide some financial incentive for doctors to overprescribe medication. Mm -hmm. uh, there is certainly good reason to think that the American culture is over-medicated, right? We jump for the pill 
before we jump for the lifestyle change, right? Yeah. When a doctor says, yeah, the way, what you got to do is work on your diet, make sure you exercise and do all these things. We're like, but is there a pill I can take? Right. <laughs> and, and uh, so there is certainly, I can understand someone who looks at the pharmaceutical industry and says, Hey, I've got some concerns about this because there's stuff that looks shady. Um, there's concerns about government mandates. Like the, if the government's allowed to force me to do this, what else are they allowed to force me to do? And I, I completely understand that. Um, and the, the government doesn't help when they start mandating vaccines that really don't have a public health benefit. Like when the, you know, I, I remember uh, watching a California Senate, uh, Senate health hearing or something about that. And they were talking about mandating like the, a tetanus vaccine. And one of the doctors there was like, well, tetanus isn't a communicable a virus, like you're not going to spread it from person to person. There's not really a, a public health benefit from mandating something like that. And so when you see something like that and you say, hey, the, the government's mandating something that really isn't necessary, there's no benefit to mandating it. Oh, it must be because of their financial, you know, the pharmaceutical company is giving them money and that's why, you know, and I completely understand why someone would think that. Um, so there, there are legitimate concerns, you know, both from a concern for uh, corruption within government, you know, greed within a pharmaceutical company, uh, this or that. Um, things that I, I would be, you know, I, I, I think are less reasonable concerns are things that are that claim to have scientific merit, merit but don't really. Um, like, for instance, a lot of this anti-vaccine movement came out of a, a research study that came out of the, I believe it was the UK, um, and it was published in a very prestigious journal where a researcher was claiming a connection between vaccines and autism, right? And that that uh, myth lives on today. It turns out that researcher just completely made up his data. Like it was entirely 100% fabricated. There was no, no real numbers in it. And eventually he, you know, he admitted that it was all fabricated. But once you have something like that out there and you see this at least illusion of corruption between pharmaceutical companies and the government, even if it's not really corruption, it certainly looks like it from the outside. You see a little bit of thing that looks like science and you see something that looks like corruption and then you say, hey, this is right. Uh, so you want to be careful that the science that you're looking at is actual real science. Um, like a, a popular one that I've been getting a lot lately, uh, lately is Illumina in vaccines. Um, and of course, that's not an issue for the RNA vaccines. You don't need it. But, you know, we add aluminum into some vaccines, not all of them, but some of them as like an extra little irritant for your immune system. Because if you give someone a dead virus, the immune system might not necessarily want to start fighting it because it's dead. Like it's not doing anything. Like you need to tell the immune system that there's something here worth fighting. And that's why you need to add something. We call them adjuvants, uh, like aluminum that triggers a little, you know, irritation, inflammation response to tell the immune system, Hey, there's something here. You need to fight it. Um, and there, you know, someone will come out with a study that says, Oh, aluminum is found in the, in the brains of an Alzheimer's patient or something like that. Therefore mm. vaccines cause Alzheimer's or something like that. And it's, mm. that, that doesn't, that doesn't follow. Like you also have to compare, all right, what does the content of, of, uh, of aluminum in a vaccine compare to the content of aluminum in your diet, right? Cause we all wrap our food with aluminum foil, right? Traces of aluminum are, are going to, you know, get into our, our, our bodies that way. Um, aluminum is a very common element. It's all over the place, you know, so even just, you know, you touch a, you touch a surface and there's traces of aluminum on that surface. You got, you know, it on your hand, you touch your face, it gets in that way. Um, I believe the aluminum content of a vaccine is comparable to the aluminum content of one liter of baby for infant formula. <laughs> so, you know, over the course of, you know, the infants, you know, first six months, they get more aluminum 
from their from their formula that they're ingesting than from the actual vaccines. Um, and then you turn to the studies of, all right, what are these studies that connect aluminum and say, you know, Alzheimer's disease? Well, they're all studies that are studying familial history. Like they're looking for genetic disorders mm. and it's specific genetic mutations that are contributing to aluminum mutation. mutation. It doesn't have anything to do with, they're not studying a vaccinated versus unvaccinated population. Mm. They're studying a genetic variant that's creating, you know, a family history of this thing versus not. So it's like you you can't you can't conflate you know two studies that are looking at two different things and saying so th those are areas where I'd say if you want to take something and call it science that's not really science that's where I have a concern with because that that seems to me be, to be coming from more of a place of being disingenuous like you're not being honest about what your real concerns are like if your concerns are we don't think there's enough accountability for pharmaceutical companies I totally get it. If your concern is you're you're misusing the science behind a lot of this stuff, then I have a little more concerns about what's the spirit behind that. Like, why are you doing this, Matt? Yeah. How, how do you how do you help someone to uh, think through these topics? Because the reality is we don't all have a, a Dr. Matt Silverman next to us uh, to ask these because these are the questions you bring up are, are legitimate, and for those that are not well versed in it, there's some concerns, like you said, the unknown. Um, and, and there's so much information out there that it's as though there's no information, right? Because we, we don't, and we're lied to so often we feel like by, by media and whatnot, you know, so uh, it's, we're living in a very strange time where there is more information probably accessible than ever before in any period of time in history. And yet at the same time, there's probably less truth that we feel like we can hold on to. So what do we do? What's the non-scientist do uh, to, or how would you alleviate the concerns? Like you said, there are bad people out there doing bad science. At the same time, there's some really good people doing good science. So what would you say to that? I don't know if that's a fair question, but. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. I mean, I think of, uh, of Jesus's principle of recognize a tree by its fruit. Um, look at the other things that are, you know, if, if you're looking to see whether or not someone's a credible source, Look to see what else is coming out of them. Like, you know, are they coming from a position of pride or greed? Are they coming from a, you know, a, a, what's the, what is their fundamental motivation for what they're, what they're doing? Um, and are there moral, intelligent, reasonable people, people that are listening to this person and saying, yeah, this guy is, is saying reasonable things. Um, one of the most common things that I think that I've gotten during this pandemic from people, you know, people ask me questions and send me YouTube videos and stuff like that all the time. Um, and one of the common things is, you know, they'll send me some doctor that, you know, there's, you know, obscure, uh, no one's ever heard of, no one's ever, you know, it, 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 but publish it, you know, has all these books on Amazon or something like that, and is giving a talk about how there's no such thing as viruses and it's all just 5G or it's, you know, it, it's, it, it's something imaginary like that. Um, well, what you can do is, all right, compare that to someone who can actually show you something. Like I can, I can take you to a Petri dish of cell culture and I can show you virus infecting cells. I can show you what happens when you put a virus in there and, and what happens if you give it a day to start infecting cells. Um, who are, you wanna listen to, uh, who are the people that are responding to this person and what do they say? Like, I, I think I was actually just looking at the proverb earlier. The first person to present their case always seems right until another comes forward to question him, right? Yep. Um, 
So make sure you are listening to the, per look at the fruit from the person that's making the claim and look at the fruit from the person that's responding to it. Um, most of these kind of quack doctors, they're not working in real doctor's clinics or hospitals. They're just publishing books. Um, and that should tell you something like if this person was putting out good medical information, why are they just writing books and not actually using their information to treat patients? Because uh, hospitals want doctors who actually know how to treat patients, right? They want competent doctors that provide good quality care. If this doctor can't get work in a hospital, can't get work in a doctor's office, that might tell you something about how effective their methodology really is. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I would say also try to establish who are your tried and true sources of information. Um, who are the people that you know that you know they're coming from a good moral standing? You know they're coming from a place where uh, they have an understanding. They can refute strange ideas, um, and be be willing to uh, be open to yourself of what what uh, what of your own preconceived notions are you coming to the table with? Mm. Um, are you coming to the table with you've already decided the conclusion and you're just looking for the facts that support it? Um, you know, one of the reasons why we try to teach the scientific method at the high school level is to help people reason through and say, all right, what are the, what's the evidence that you would look for? And that's, you know, take a step back. What's the evidence that you would look for to determine whether or not something is true? Um, how do you do a good data analysis? And, and take the time to learn. Like we have textbooks, we have medical, you know, we have well-published, well-studied, you know, information you know, take some time to, to learn something new every month and from from credible sources and see where it takes you. Yeah, that's a very helpful, very I think, helpful. for us. So just to, this is a great conversation and I know we can keep talking for <laughs> a long time over this. Um, but, you know, just being able to, to think about this, to consider uh, to be reasonable and to think through vaccinations is really important. And, and I guess I would sum it up of having a spirit of humility when going into this conversation, because it seems like today everybody's an expert on everything, um, but we could all use a dose of humility in thinking through this. Um, but uh, thank you for coming on and, and sharing uh, with us. I hope this is helpful to our listeners. Um, if you want uh, more information, reach out to us. If you want us to connect you with Dr. Silverman, reach out to us, send us an email. Um, we'll get your questions over to him and um, hope you uh, enjoy this episode. If you're enjoying our podcast, uh, please leave us a review. It will really help us on iTunes or your favorite podcast uh, program that you're using. Leave us a review, subscribe to the po podcast, tell your friends, and we hope you will join us next time. If you enjoyed this episode of the Rod and Staff Podcast, please subscribe and share with others. For more information or to contact the host with questions or comments, please send email correspondence to feedback at rodnstaff.org. That is feedback at rod, the letter N, staff.org.